Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today it's my privilege to have as my guest, Dr. David Lamb, and we're going to speak specifically about his newly revised edition of a book that he, he published originally about 10 years ago called God Behaving Badly. Is the God of the Old Testament angry, sexist, and racist? This is a really important conversation because it gets to the heart of the authority of the Old Testament by confronting some of the obvious difficulties that many Christians and others have with reading some of the more violent descriptions of God in the Old Testament. You're going to appreciate David's learning as well as his heart. Uh, this conversation is also about how to show up and hold space in disagreeable situations. David's learned a lot because he's done a lot of speaking on this topic in different contexts. David is the Alan McRae Professor of Old Testament, uh, presently at Missio Seminary. Let's jump into the conversation. Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast, David. So great to have you on the show today. Brian, it's my pleasure to be here. And we're going to be speaking about your uh, revision of your uh, original book, God Behaving Badly is the God of the Old Testament, Angry, Sexist, and Racist. It's an expanded edition. It's now out on by, from InterVarsity Press. Um, can you introduce yourself a little bit by um, sharing some of your own uh, spiritual journey and how you've gotten to the place where you're a professor of the Old Testament at Missio Seminary, the, the dean and uh, also the author of uh, this expanded edition of God Behaved, Behaving Badly. Uh, thanks, Brian. Yeah, well, um, I've always loved the Bible. <laughs> when I was in, uh, you, know, you know, I loved getting the gold stars for Sunday school, memorizing verses. I did Bible quizzing in high school. Um, I, but I think what happened in college was I really fell in love with the study of Scripture. Um, and um, I have an, I've got an engineering degree, you know, mm. which is great. I taught computer science when I was at Stanford. Um, all that was fun, but I just found teaching the Bible just gave me great joy. Um, and um, so that was that was kind of how I went into that. I um, was in campus ministry for a long time, um, and I was always drawn to kind of weird texts. Um, I love the Gospels. But pretty early, I got attracted to stories that were less familiar. Um, and there's just a lot more of those in the Old Testament than in the New Testament. And so I, I, I kind of gravitated towards the Old Testament. Um, and, but, you know, I, I decided God was calling me to get um, a, a doctorate. Um, and so I did in Old Testament, um, you know, had a job, job struggle for a while, but ended up getting a position uh, at what is now Missio, what used to be called biblical. Um, but I kept staying connected to college students. And uh, my wife still works in campus ministry with InterVarsity. And people would hear me talk about the Bible and old, the Old Testament. And they, particularly college students, were just struggling with the God they encountered in the pages of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And they would, you know, ask me about this smiting of Uzzah or the the, the, the law that commands a woman who's been raped to marry her rapist, and what do we do with this? The Canaanite, what, what some people might call the Canaanite genocide and narrated in the books of Joshua. So I got interested in thinking about this and realizing this is something that people 
need help thinking about. I certainly need help thinking about. And so um, that's kind of what prompted me to write this book. Uh, I, 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 the, the book starts out with um, how do we reconcile the loving God of the Old Testament with the harsh God of the New Testament? Yeah, I like that. Um, which is a line I used actually when I was when I was a teaching assistant because I was kind of introducing the Old Testament. But I, I obviously it's a little bit tongue in cheek there. Um, it's not the way that people are used to having the question framed. But the point I'm making with that question is, the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are actually the same. But there's a complexity, and a richness, and a depth both to if you want to say Yahweh which is kind of God's name in the Old Testament. And then the name that God is most frequently called in the New Testament is Jesus. Um, if we think about the, these two characters, they're wonderful, they're unified, they're, they have similarities, but there's a richness and depth uh, of their character and personality, which drew me to write this book. And um, uh, I've, I've really enjoyed thinking about God and God's character, even some of the troubling bits. Let me let me follow up with a question I didn't send you, but you know, since I you know just you said it again, and we, we had in the pre-talk, you you had a background in campus ministry, and you said your wife is still working with uh, college students. Um, what kind of insights has that given you beyond kind of what you just said into you know like what's needed within the church in terms of teaching the Bible? What have you learned from working with young people for all these years? Yeah, thank you, Brian. That's a great question. Um, I realized that. The church is not always great. I mean, I love the church. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I preach, I teach Sunday school. I've been, you know, an active uh, member, um, even though I'm not a, a pastor. I love the church, but the church is not always great at helping people um, understand, appropriate, make sense of the, the difficult bits of the Bible. And um, I mean, college students, they like to ask hard questions. And you know, the college students of today are going to be the church, you know, the church members, the Sunday school teachers, the elders of the next generation. And these questions that college students are struggling with are ones that um, they often weren't helped to understand in their churches. I was actually speaking to a group of pastors one time, and um, I was talking about God behaving badly. So this is probably shortly after the book came out 10 years ago. And, um, you know, I basically told people, we need to stop ignoring these texts. And I had a, I had a pastor that came up to me and he said, um, I grew up in the church. It was a great church. We studied the Bible. We never talked about the difficult, troubling places where God be seems to be, be behaving badly. We never talked about this. When I went off to college, I was in a class that was taught by, you know, basically a skeptic. And... My initial response, and he, this professor was kept bringing up, you know, all the the the, the problematic texts, and the, these stories that, and and, and th this pastor basically said my first response was to be embarrassed, because I didn't know about these pits because we never talked about them, and then my next response was to be mad, because it's like, why didn't we talk about these in my church? Um, because that's the place to help people struggle with them and try to begin to make sense of them. Not that we're ever, ever going to be able to solve them, but that we can start to make sense of them and to not be shocked that they're in our Bibles. And that's a bit of a problem. 
Yeah, thank you. And, and uh, the original edition of this came out, what, about 10 years ago. So what's the backdrop of uh, having an expanded edition of God Behaving Badly that's coming out here in, in, in 2022? Yeah, thanks. I, I tell people, I'm actually a slight extrovert, which makes me probably a little bit unusual um, as a professor, perhaps. I enjoy writing, but I love being out with people. And I've, I've got, I've had the ch chance to speak and teach, preach in a lot of different churches. And I feel like I've learned a lot <laughs> about doing that uh, in all these different contexts. And so as I thought about some of the things I've, the lessons I've learned and some of the stories um, students have shared with me, I thought, well, this could be a helpful um, some helpful material to include in what is this now this expanded edition. One of the things I, I realized is I do a lot of, I, I have a lot of examples where I work through problematic texts, you know, in the issues of violence and sexism and racism and, um, you know, kind of deeper issues about God's theology and character. Is he rigid or, um, you know, distant? Some of these other things. But I realized I didn't, I never gave people a a clear methodology of how to how to approach a problematic text. So I kind of wanted to do that in the expanded edition. I do that in the, the afterward. Um, I also um, felt like there were just a lot of personal lessons that I gained um, about my own kind of life and spirituality. And maybe we can come back to that later. Um, and then the, the, the story that people asked me about the most was Noah and the flood. Like people said, Dave, you never talk about Noah and the flood. What's up with that? I mean, it's, you know, he he wipes out all of humanity except for Noah, Noah's family, and then, you know, these sets, these pairs of animals. Um, that's that's problematic. Um, and and I said, you know, that's a great point. And so I, I wanted to talk about Noah and the flood. And obviously, with Noah and the flood, there's implications for us as we think about. Um, well, God, God basically makes a covenant with the, the whole planet there. Um, and there's implications for us as we think about caring for the, the creation that God has put in our care. So talk about creation care um, with that, which is obviously um, timely in the world that we live in today as we're thinking about climate, environment, and what does it mean for us to be responsible stewards of the world that God has given us. Yeah, I enjoyed reading the 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 no edition that you put in there. Now you do deal with the really in the original book too. You had the the the, the problematic text with Noah in the aftermath of um of of the the ark story where he's naked and there's the curse of Cain and so you're right, Cain and right, so you you've dealt right. with that. So, but the I, I just also I just appreciate your writing style and all that. And it was it's just fun to read the way you wrote the book too. And I think you have a very engaging writing style. Now, you start the book and you know we we joked about this before we started recording. You have the kind of famous or infamous uh, passage from Richard Dawkins' um, book where he writes, uh, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction, jealous and proud of it, petty, a petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticide, genocidal, philicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. And, and just to be clear, everybody, this isn't Dave's book. This this is Richard Dawkins that had that part, but you you name that. And it's um just the part that he's the most unlikable character in all of fiction is um it's got a cheeky writing there, but 
you know, he lays out almost in, um, well, what did you call almost slapstick forms, the very issue that you're, you're trying to address. Now, one way of getting around that is um, to just downplay the Old Testament. And there's obviously been some prominent pastors and such that essentially just try to downplay the role of the Old Testament it goes all the way back to Marcion. But what do you make of those trends? And what advice do you give for folks that feel like maybe we just need to, you know, put uh, untether ourselves from the Old Testament or maybe just keep it in the closet a little bit? Yeah, I understand the temptation. And so the folks that that are tempted to move in that direction, I get it. Um, you know, if I were if I were a brand new Christian, I might not recommend starting with the book of Joshua or the, the problematic bits. You know, I again I I I would steer people to Jesus and the gospels as a starting point. So I get it. Um it does break my heart um, because as followers of Jesus, um, Jesus loved the Old Testament. He quoted it all over the place. And Paul did too. So if you love Jesus and Paul, and they, they kind of make up a big chunk of the, you know, Luke wrote, you know, perhaps the most, but the, these folks that shape the New Testament love the Old Testament. I mean, and so um, you can't make sense of the New Testament without reading the Old Testament. Uh, it's I, I would say um, untethering ourselves from the Old Testament is misguided. And um, yeah, I, I believe, I agree with Paul that all scripture is inspired and profitable for teaching. These pastors that say the Old Testament doesn't have things to offer us, whoa, I mean, Depending on how they say it, and I know some folks, some of these folks um, famously kind of may walk back some of their comments, but they're kind of saying they don't agree with Paul, that all scripture, they're saying it's not all profitable for teaching, it's not all inspired. Um, to, if you want to put it more selfishly, I would say, you know, Paul says, we profit from reading the Old Testament. And what I encounter in the pages of the Old Testament confuses me sometimes, overwhelms me sometimes. I'm in awe sometimes. And ultimately, though, a lot of the Old Testament is about praise, not just the book of Psalms. I mean, Psalms, it's all over the place. But um, you, you see it in, in the prophets as well. The old There's a richness and depth uh, to God and God's character in the Old Testament that we, we, we also see echoed in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and certainly in Paul's writings, in Revelation as well. But um, yeah, it's tragic. And I think it's not the job of pastors today to tell people, oh yeah, the Old Testament's hard, you know, don't spend much time there. Um, the job of pastors today is to tell people, yeah, it's hard. But you know what? It's worth it. Because <laughs> when Jesus when Jesus talks about things that were hard, like following him, he says, it's hard. And we just tell people it's hard, but you know, it's going to be worth it. And so when you give yourself to studying, pre praying through, reading, um, discussing, uh, discussing the hard bits of the Old Testament, I think you will find it's worth it. And in the language of Paul, it's profitable um, for teaching and equipping. 
Yeah, I love that. And and that leads to a kind of another a kind of a question that I wanted to frame out with that. What what is it? Um, because I always I, I like to think about this. Um, what what do you think it says about um, God or even the nature of God that um, we have our inspired scripture that has these difficult passages in it? So you know, what do you say to folks of like? If the Bible is supposed to be clear, why do we have these hard passages? What what is God trying to teach yeah. us through these? Do you think? Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you. Um, I you know, we are not always going to be able to understand everything about God, and I think that's an okay thing. <laughs> um, you know, I I I realize it can be trite, perhaps for some folks, but you know, the um, C.S. Lewis um, talks about you know in the Chronicles of Narnia the 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 god character maybe the jesus character aslan and most famously has this refrain um aslan is not a tame lion um and the first time i encountered that when i was reading them these stories as a as a child it, it confused me or frustrated it didn't make sense to me but totally makes sense to me now the god of the bible we will never be able to fully comprehend now that doesn't mean we should just say oh you know oh well um you know I, there's nothing i can do we struggle, we keep striving and, and work to understand. We ask, ask God our questions. But it, to me, it feels the fact that the, the character that we see in the, the pages of the Old and New Testament um, is hard to get to know sometimes and confusing and wonderful. That feels real. It feels like a genuine relationship. It's kind of like, you know, uh, there are things I'm learning about my wife today, you know, we've been married for 30 years. There, there are things I'm learning about my sons, the things I learned about my father, my, both my parents have not passed away, but um, it feels real. And um, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about the emotions of God, because I'm writing this book about God's emotions. But, but I think the fact that scripture has this complexity to God and God's character is wonderful. And I personally find that very compelling. No, I love that. And uh, yeah, so let's kind of jump into the the heart of, of the book. And, um, you know, you lay out in the this expanded edition, and again, I don't want to take all the good stuff out in the interview, but, you know, you kind of lay out your methodology, and, and I think it's a helpful way. Can you talk a little bit about that and maybe use what, I don't know, it seems like the, the I'm an Old Testament professor too, that the question that students usually stumble over the most is the whole issue of the, you know, the Canaanite, the, the conquest and the, the text yeah. that sound like God wants to kill everybody. So could you kind of illustrate your method and kind of briefly talk about how you would apply it to the conquest of Canaan or the potential genocide sure. piece there? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's good. Thanks. Well, I mean, I do two kind of preliminary points I want to make here. If someone asks me about, let's say, the Canaanite genocide or any part, any difficult part of the Bible, the very first thing I want to communicate to them is I want to validate that question. I think sometimes in the church, and I have this temptation as well. We can be, we like, oh, someone's asking a question. Ooh, their, their faith is going to be wavering. I need to jump in and solve it and save them and prevent them from struggling, which, you know, as well-intentioned as that is, I think can be counterproductive. So the first thing, when someone asks me a question, let's say about the Canaanites, I want to say, that's, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. I, I feel honored that you would trust me to kind of work through this difficult thing with you. So 
I think we just need to do more validating um, when people are asking hard questions. The, the, the next thing, and this may seem kind of obvious, we just need to stop, stop avoiding these hard texts. So um, I think one of the reasons that people ask about the Canaanites um, in the book of Joshua, and it kind of touches on other books, you see it in Deuteronomy and um, uh, Judges as well, but is it they don't get talked on, they don't get taught on. Um, so we need to stop avoiding them. The other thing, people don't like it when I do this, when I teach this in Sunday school classes, um, I'd say we have to start and we have to push into the problem. Let's problematize. Um, so, you know, even using the term, the Canaanite genocide, there are a lot of Christians just like, whoa, whoa, whoa let's just, you know, stop. But I, I use that terminology intentionally to, to make it problematic. Because Jesus, look at how Jesus teaches. He's always problematizing and being provocative. Um, because when, when we're, when we're be forced to think and being provoked, um, something kicks in for us that might not, if we're, if we're kind of um, rather bland or innocuous. So I always start by problematizing it. And I, I push into the problem. <laughs> and then... And then, I mean, I usually like I, I will state the problem on the, the, the whiteboard or whenever, whenever I'm teaching. And I just say, okay, let's just take a break. Because some of you guys are really anxious. Deep breath. Okay. Now we can start to make sense of it after we've problematized it. You know, I, I like to look at the context. Um, I've got to study the text um, and look, you know, a lot of folks, certainly in most churches, people aren't going to have access to in the Old Testament Hebrew and the New Testament Greek. Um, but there are resources you can look at that can help you make sense of some of these words. Um, you can use, look at the words in other contexts. Um, and then I think the thing that I found most helpful is to just make sure I'm not doing this on my own. So I'm discussing it with a group of other people. So for the Canaanites, maybe we could say, um, I think the first thing um, I would want to do, um, after I validated someone, uh, um, and after I've kind of problematized it, um, is I would just want to say, um, you know, what are some possible reasons why, um, you know, this, this happened? And I think one of the things that people often say is God did this um, to punish the Canaanites. And I think that is a valid, um, a valid point, that the text is clearly making that God is, is punishing the Canaanites. Um, and again, if you're not familiar with the story, the Israelites uh, had left Egypt and were moving towards the promised land, the land of Canaan. Um, they didn't have a place to live, and there were Canaanites living there. And God, you know, um, in certain places in Deuteronomy and in the book of Joshua, God says just to wipe, wipe them all out, which you know, for many of us, oh, women and children, which is, that's the really problematic bits. Um, but the other thing is, though, as we start to look at some of these texts, we realize that there's other language to describe what it, how God, what God does with the Canaanites. The text often talks about the Canaanites being driven out or forced out. Um, and so there are texts that speak about them all being wiped out, um, and then there are also texts that talk about, in fact, the language we see more frequently is that they're actually being driven out. So 
both of them are true. Um, and maybe maybe one of them is talking about a, a specific context, another one, another specific context. It's hard to say. The other thing is when it comes to the women and children, we don't get any narration of that actually happening. I, I think it says that they did it, but the, the, the point of that isn't to emphasize, hey, God's people, God wants his people to wipe out women and children, but that um, when the people obeyed, they, you know, they were doing, they were taking God's word seriously, which if you read through the Old Testament a lot, doesn't happen as often as it should. Again, there's a lot here, and I'm not going to be able to do justice to this in just a couple of minutes. The thing that helps me the most, though, is when I look at these texts, I look and see every person that showed compassion or hospitality for the Israelites was in turn shown compassion. So, and the, the, perhaps the most famous example of this is Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho. Um, the Jos Joshua sends two spies, they stay at her house um, and they make a deal basically. This is a foreign female prostitute. Okay, so this is not the sort of person that you would think would be the epitome of righteousness, okay? Um, but she has more faith than a lot of the Israelites that saw firsthand what had happened in Egypt. Um, Rahab is an amazing person. We need to talk more about Rahab. But um, the, the, so she shows hospitality and they kind of make a deal with the spies and Joshua and the Israelites preserve not just, not just Rahab, but her entire family who had nothing to do with this. But God's, again, God's mercy expands not just to Rahab. And then look, look, jump to the New Testament. Rahab shows up in Jesus's family tree there. She's the, the second woman mentioned in the New Testament after Tamar. Um, and then she shows up in Hebrews 11. The, the hero of the book of Joshua never shows up in the book of, never shows up in Hebrews chapter 11. Some people call that the hall of faith. But Rahab, the foreign prostitute shows up. She gets her whole ver own verse. She also shows up in the book of James. Um, uh, for an example of someone who showed hospitality and had faith and works. So I'm troubled by the Canaanites and I will continue to be troubled, but I see hints of God's grace and God's mercy and God's value and hospitality, um, which helps me make sense of this problematic um, part of the Bible. No, thank you. And obviously, there's entire books written about trying to how to address the yeah. question. But one, the thing that jumped out, it's, it jumps it's clear in the book and, and just even hearing you do this on the podcast, the part that I love um, is it, it's not just you're not just you didn't write just a book about apologetics where it's just all rational stuff, though your ideas are clear, they're compelling. But I love that human side that you showed. And a lot of times we forget in the church that questions are, I mean, it's a pastoral care issue as much as it is yeah. just an intellectual piece. And obviously yeah. there's always ways of talking about the scripture, which that's your expertise. That's my expertise. But sometimes, like you just said, it's hold space. Let's take a little deep breath 
and let's see what the text says. So, you know, I love that. And, you know, that leads to the part of the book that I found really interesting. And we talked about this before we started recording a little bit too. Um, talk a little bit about the personal cost of um, what it was like to work through so many hard passages. And, you know, you don't have to be any more transparent on this than you, than you, and you really are in the book or even you want to be today, but like, what did you learn about kind of spiritual formation or even, you know, the care of your own soul from, you know, kind of going through it, just a struggle by focusing on these hard passages for so long and, you know, answering people's questions. What, what did you learn from that, that whole process? Yeah, thank you. That's, that's hard. And um, <laughs> I, I would say, well, basically what ended up happening for me is a couple of years, um, I had a rough couple of years um, shortly after the book came out, I was speaking on God behaving badly a, a lot. My brother-in-law, um, who was younger than me, passed away. My mother passed away. My father was hospitalized. So there was some other things. I had some own, my, my own um, physical issues, um, damaged vocal cords, partly from just speaking a lot and coaching. I coached both my son's basketball teams and their soccer teams. And I, I yell a lot, <laughs> kind of a lot. I'm a loud guy, but, um, but I ended up getting this concoction of medications and that were supposed to help my reflux, which the, the, the ENT, the, the doctor I saw said that um, he thinks I was struggling with reflux. The, the reflux meds um, made things worse. Um, started having problems sleeping, started um, having issues with just, I wasn't sleeping enough, uh, severe anxiety. I woke up a couple of times in the middle of the night with having basically a panic attack, which had never happened to me before. Um, now, God ended up healing me over the course of several months and a lot of prayer. One of the things that looking back on it, I realized it was just hard on my soul to spend so much time um, studying, reading, preaching, writing, talking about the darkest bits of the Bible, <laughs> which shouldn't shock us. But um, so what I started to do was I just, every time I talked on problematic parts of the Bible, I would tell a version of this story about my experience. And then I would just ask people to pray for me. Um, and that has made a huge difference. One, it's just good for me to kind of share my story and be kind of honest about it. Cause I think just talking about it is I mean, it's sort of therapy, I guess, on some level. Um, but, you know, I tell people, you know, every time you encounter a difficult bit of scripture, I appreciate if you pray for me. Well, potentially that could be a lot of prayer because there's a lot of hard, hard bits of the Bible. And I, I just have felt, um, you know, often I would do this and people would like, you know, if I'm preaching at a conference or a church, you know, somebody, uh, a couple of people might come up and just offer to pray for me right then and there. And there was something wonderful about that. So I think um, I've kind of noticed how I'm doing or any of us who are struggling. I mean, I mean, you know, in the midst of COVID, right, we're all having, it's, it's a dark season, a difficult season, it's, uh, um, brutal, tragic. Um, and, but just notice how these things are affecting us. But then to be able to, to share your struggles, um, I'm not always the best at this. And I've learned um, to be more honest and vulnerable and transparent. It's still something I struggle with. Um, and the, the other thing is just, I, I think the thing is, I feel like God has put on my heart to be someone who pushes into the, the, 
most troubling bits of the Bible and try to, try to help people make sense of it. But I will just acknowledge that it has been costly for my soul. Um, but you know what? That's pretty common for people in the Bible. God calls us to be part of his mission. And God never says, oh, and it's all just going to be hunky-dory and it's just pure joy. The whole, you know, it's, it, it's hard to be, not always, but it's often hard to be a follower of Jesus. Um, and we need to talk about that a little bit more. I also need to remember that sometimes I just need to spend time uh, surrounding myself with verses that are um, more positive, uh, more hopeful. <laughs> I, you know, there are times I'll just spend a lot of time just reading and rereading Psalm 23. And there are earlier times in my life where I'm like, someone says they want to speak on Psalm 23. And I'm like, oh, Psalm 23, man, I've heard, you know, I mean, try to tell me something new about Psalm 23. And I was kind of, I don't know, arrogant, <laughs> a little bit arrogant. But now I'm like, Psalm 23, I can just there's always something that God speaks to me. You know, the Lord is my shepherd. And I just, I need to be reminded of that. So to balance hard bits, tough, disturbing bits with the promises that are probably the church is actually usually better at. And I need to, I need to remember that, that that's important for me too. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Cause I think that, I think that was uh, that was just really interesting. That was in your book and, and, and I love the advice too, because obviously sometimes we can, we can get fixated on a text and, you know, maybe sometimes if we only read the easy parts, maybe we need to be reading more challenging ones. And if, but if yes. we only focus yes. on a real challenging yes. part, we need to make sure we're, we're, we're availing ourselves to the full breath. And that just goes back into our whole interpretive strategies and stuff too. So thank you for what you, what you yeah. shared there. Yeah. Um, now I just want to move into the part where I just ask questions. I like to ask of all of my guests, you know, you've already mentioned that you're working on a, go a book about God's emotions. Um, is there a, a project? Uh, is that maybe that is the, the hard project? Has there been a project that maybe you felt called to that you're not quite ready for that scares you a little bit to even start writing? Or maybe that is the book? Uh, yeah. Wow, that's a hard question. Yeah. Um, let, let me let me focus on the emotions. A no, little that's bit cool. First. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing that's hard about this book, I mean, one, I don't think the church talks enough about the emotions of God. The Bible talks about God being emotional. We are created in his image. We are emotional. Um, psychologists and psychiatrists have been thinking about this for a much longer time. I think, you know, we are starting to see more people talking about, you know, um, emotional, healthy spirituality. So emotions, but I don't, there, I don't see a lot of it coming out straight out of the Bible. Um, and so that's been the thing for me. The hard thing in this for me has been, this has been the most autobiographical book. I'm telling just a lot more personal stories because, you know, emotions are so much a part of who I am. I think who, who we all are. Um, and so I'm, I'm struggling with that. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I think, what is it that what I would be afraid to write? I mean, I've got, I've got lists of books that I, I'm excited about writing. Um, what am I? That's hard. I, I think if, if something were more pure theology yeah. and esoteric and abstract, that would be a struggle for me because that's just not how God has made me. I love, I love just, I could spend all day in the text of the scripture mm -hmm. and 
you know, I could write a book on Genesis, I could write a book on Psalms, I could write a book on how to, how to teach and um, understand the Bible. Um, but writing books that are more abstract or theological, more kind of pure theology, um, where I have to read a lot of, um, uh, that, that, would be, that would be a struggle for me and would not, would not give me as much joy as just um, some scholars that are really more grounded or rooted in scripture. No, that's good. And honestly, your answer is, is actually fine, because in a sense, I mean, to talk about books, you should be afraid to write. I mean, you kind of went where angels fear to tread on several of your books already, <laughs> yeah. honestly. So yeah. I think that's where the struggle was. And I love your idea about the emotions of God, and you're already connecting it with a lot of current conversations. That's I, I'm, yeah. I just always curious how people answer that. No, so just a hard one. No, it is. It is. Um, so um, just if, as much as you like, I like to always this, I call it this podcast deep dive spirituality because I try to intersect biblical studies, um, spiritual formation, theology, all kind of together. But like for yourself, what kind of keeps you grounded, uh, whether you call it a rhythm of life or a rule of life so that you stay excited about your work? You know, I love, I, I love studying the Bible. I just, I love hearing when people say that like you just did, and you've been a professor for a a good bit of time. And so like, what, what keeps you grounded and empowered, excited for your work? What's, what's your kind of spiritual rhythms that you find help you? Thank you. That is a hard one. And again, you know, I tell people, oh gosh, I've been a Christian on some level and I grew up in a Christian family, but kind of 50 years of since, you know, I was eight when I made kind of a decision, but um, I mean, the, the, the beauty of the Bible for me is there's just always new things. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I wrote a commentary on Kings. I'm working on a commentary for Chronicles, working on a couple other things right now, but I, I every morning, usually when I'm exercising, I, I, I start out and read a chapter or two from the Bible I don't know, five, six days out of the week. And I have not always been good at that. But, you know, as I'm, you know, pushing 60 here, something has, it clicked in terms of my discipline. God speaks to me through his word. And I love that. The, 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 the danger for me is to not think about it spiritually, but to think about it more academically. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's my dilemma. But, um, I have, a, I have a harder, much harder time praying um, by myself. This is something I struggle with. I've struggled with for a long time, but um, I spend, I try to spend time praying with other people. It's a little bit, it's been a lot harder during COVID, but um, I try to spend a lot of time praying with my wife and that kind of keeps me rooted and grounded. I meet with a spiritual director once a month and that um, she helps me, uh, think about how God is trying to speak to me in the midst of whatever it is that's going on for me. I, I love, I mean, I love a student would come by my office and talk about some situation, some issue they're about to graduate or they're struggling in a class or whatever. You got a situation at home and I would just love to pray with them right then and there. Um, I, I, I just really do find, I enjoy praying with people for people at that point in time. And there's something, there's a way that it helps me feel like I'm doing what God wants me to do. Um, and usually the students feel um, cared for by that. So I am not, I am not a, I've got a lot of ways to go and a lot of things to think about in terms, I wish I were much better at um, my own personal prayer uh, journey 
but um, I am still trying to figure out kind of how to make that happen. But those are some of the things that have worked for me. Oh, thank you. And now, here, now here's a really hard question for anybody that's a, an academic or even, or a pastor. It's that's like if uh, outside of the Bible, if you're going to say what are two or three books that have really helped to shape you personally or spiritually, what would be those two or three books? I had a period of time when I was in college where I had a couple of romantic relationships that didn't really work out. And I felt like God was speaking to me that I just needed to take a break. And so I took a break from age pretty much 21 to 28 and a half, seven and a half years in my 20s where I didn't date, um, which was hard because, um, but during that time, um, I read several biographies of St. Francis. Uh, you know, the classic is Little Flowers, but, um, uh, you know, there are a couple of other books. I, I read a more recent one about the saint and the sultan, which is when he met um, the, the sultan and tried to kind of was negotiating peace. But any biography about St. Francis, I read a handful of them. Really, I don't know. That's cool. The guy was connected to, to God in a deep way. He connected to God through nature. And I connect to God through nature, through animals. Um, I love to be in nature. Um, and again, I would say that's one of my spiritual disciplines. I love mm -hmm. to be outside. Uh, I love to go on walks. A lot of times I pray when I'm walking. I try, I should pray more, but I, but there was something about St. Francis's life and his simplicity and his just earnest love for God and Jesus. It just really spoke to me. I thought about, well, maybe I should become a monk um, until I met my wife, Sh Shannon, and then that thing changed things a little bit there. But um, so, and then maybe another like 10 and a half years later, um, I read a book by Bobby Clinton, The Making of a Leader. Um, I was at, a, my wife and I were both in a, a very difficult point in our, our spiritual journey. We had, were frustrated in terms of our job. We were both working with InterVarsity and there were some things that we were struggling with and the making of a leader by Bobby Clinton. He, he, he had a perspective on life and the spiritual journey that God often takes leaders through. And, you know, he looked at leaders in the Bible and then you know, missionary leaders. He was, at that point, it was Fuller School of World Mission. It's now Intercultural Studies, but a book spoke to me. I ended up taking, Shannon and I took a class with him, and we both his TAs, Bobby Clinton, this is when we're at Fuller, and um, those, that book, that course, kind of, it's way, one of the ways that God spoke to me about my calling and what mm -hmm. I should be doing, my call to become a seminary professor and to use my gifts so those are the two, I mean, anything by C.S. Lewis or John Goldengay or Walter Brueggemann um, are all great, but the, the things by St. Francis and then Bobby Clinton were perhaps the two that had the most impact on me earlier. Oh, I love that. And, and um, I'm always curious when people sh share those pieces, like I could have expected you to say Golden Gay or Brueggemann and a lot of people say yeah. C.S. Lewis, but the bios of St. Francis, I really like that. And and uh, I'm familiar with Clinton's book, but I hadn't had anybody on the show say that either. So thank you for those. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah so if, if people um, want to reach out to you or, or first tell folks, where can they find your uh, latest edition of God Behaving Badly? And if folks want to contact you or find out more about your work, where might they uh, locate you online? Yeah, anywhere that you buy books, um, Amazon, uh, you know, Barnes and Nobles, uh, Christian book distributors. I don't know where where you get your books. If there's a local bookstore, go there. 
um, uh, if they if your local bookstore doesn't have it, say, why don't you have this book? Um, but uh, they should be able to get copies of, of that there. I've got a blog. Um, it's I don't blog. I've only blog a couple times a year. I um, but um, David T. Lamb uh, um, dot, uh, David T. Lamb dot com. But you could um, look at, you know, other books I've written and find out about how to get in contact me um, about speaking. Um, the best way to, to contact me directly if you have a question about me or speaking or the Bible, and I, I love just getting emails from people, is just dlam at missio.edu, dlam at missio.edu. Um, no, I, I, I don't know, every couple of weeks I'll get an uh, email, sometimes from a friend, sometimes from a random person. Hey, there's this weird part of the Bible, help me make sense of it. And usually I just drop what I'm doing. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. I, I probably enjoy that a little bit too much. But um, I really, I really love helping people make sense of, um, of God uh, and the Bible. That just gives me a lot of joy. Well, thank you. And I think it comes through loud and clear and uh, God behaving badly. And I want to thank you, uh, Dave, for being my guest today. I'm grateful always to have the privilege of speaking with people that have given their life to this work and, and enjoyed uh, hearing uh, some of the personal sides of behind the writing the book today, too. So thank you for what you do. And it's been a privilege having you on the show today. Brian, I really appreciate it. You, you're ask, you ask me great questions, and it's really an act of servanthood to, to give me the opportunity to have this platform. So it's been my, my privilege. Thank you. You're welcome. And everyone, uh, thank you for listening all the way to the end of this week's episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. Until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope in the world. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. If you found this episode helpful, would you please share it with friends through your social media networks, as well as leaving a review to help other people find it? If you're interested in any of the resources mentioned, please check out the show notes. And let me again remind you, if you're interested in contemplative practices, my latest book, Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence, Can Change Your Life, is now available in paperback or on Kindle. Recommend ordering it off of Amazon. If you want to do a large order, I would reach out directly to Paraclete Press. Ask for Sister Estelle, and you can get some deep discounts if you're interested in buying Say any quantity over of at least three or more copies, you can get good discounts directly from Paraclete. Thank you so much for the privilege of serving you, and we'll see you next time.